I'm Cray Beaumont Flynn. Welcome to Beyond the Design, a show that gives you a peek behind the curtain of the design industry and shares the stories of those that are the driving force behind it. Well, welcome to Beyond the Design today. We have Aaron Minkley from Relativity Textiles. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me. It's so exciting to be here. Oh, great. Well, I'm going to just start off and tell you or ask you to tell us about your journey in the interior design sector and your field and what you do at Relativity, Relativity Textiles. Sure. Well, where should I start? Um, <laughs> I've been doing this. I've been doing this for about eight years. Um, mm-hmm. And before that, I went to art school here in Chicago at the School of the Art Institute. And I studied fiber and material studies, which is a kind of just a very heady way of saying textiles. Right. Um, and in at SAIC, there's kind of two camps. There's the weavers and the printers. And I was in the print uh, camp. And so I was printing my own fabric. And really, I had no idea what I was going to do with that niche skill set other than potentially teach. And I did go on to teach for a couple of years at SAIC and a couple other um, colleges. And um, knowing how to print your own fabric is lovely. I used to make um, sculptures from this fabric and I wasn't really interested in fashion and making garments, but more of conceptual artwork. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know exactly how that would translate to supporting myself. Um, <laughs> so I had enlisted to be a studio assistant for another artist. Uh, his name is Carlos Rolon, and he's a Chicago-based uh, painter and sculptor. And he asked me if I could make some wallpaper for an installation at the Museum of Contemporary Art. And we had a very limited timeline to turn things around. And so I started asking around, does anyone know where I can have some wallpaper made? And I worked in collaboration with a factory here in Chicago Mm -hmm. to create this wallpaper from a small like three by five photo of Carlos's living room from when he was a kid in the seventies in Chicago. And he was like, I got to replicate this exact wallpaper. (laughs) And so I drew all of the motifs and all the layers with the screens and the colors. And it ended up at the museum of contemporary art in this exhibition. And in the process, I met this person um, who owned a screen printing manufacturer. And because of my, niche skill as a screen printer, I really fell in love with how wallpaper was made and watching something that I drew go from idea to product to installation um, in a very rapid three to four week period of time. So uh, the owner of the factory actually offered me a job and I took up a a part-time job working in a wallpaper manufacturing facility here in Chicago. And I did that for about a year and a half. And I was working as, you know, the girl Friday who would answer the phone, (laughs) talk to the artist. Hi, I want to take this image that I have and make it into a wallpaper. I don't know anything about Illustrator. I don't know anything about screen printing. And the teacher in me was like, okay, here we go. Like, 
this is how you take your design and this is how many colors you can do. And you can't really translate with screen printing all the types of images that artists were looking to do. Like you can't Mm -hmm. do something with a watercolor texture or a pencil fine line drawing. So everything had to be modified in Illustrator. And that was where I really learned to hone my skills in Adobe Illustrator. And I was helping these artists um, create things like I I got to work with artists like Justina Blakeney. I got to work with Katie Rogers of Paper Fashion. I got to work with Amy Wilder in New York and Caitlin Wilson, who was then in California. Now she's in Dallas, Texas. And I watched as all of these artists launched their collections and they went out onto the internet and onto Instagram and I thought, wait a minute, I'm an artist. (laughs) Like I went to school for this. I got a very expensive designer (laughs) MFA from the number two art school in the country. And I'm working for like minimum wage in a factory. (laughs) Light bulb moment. (laughs) Like something's wrong with this picture. Like, why am I not doing this for myself? Now I know how to create a purchase order and I know where paper comes from and I know um, how to use a fulfillment center because I was helping facilitate all of that for all of these other creative people. And so I did kind of the craziest thing that I ever have done in my life. I was talking to a business uh, coach and I said, I want to start my own business. I have zero (laughs) dollars. And I have all these great ideas for wallpapers that I could design and my screen printing um, manufacturer will help me. And I calculated all what it was going to take to start a business. And it was around $20,000 between the website and, you know, establishing my LLC Mm -hmm. and getting photo professional photography um, and and just creating all of the screens and buying the paper and sticking all the sticker labels on all of these samples, as well as like, you know, I love I love a good dying art form. So yeah. <laughs> I wanted all of my labels to be like hand letter pressed by hipsters in nice. Chicago. <laughs> so I enlisted another company who does letter press to do all the packaging design. And, and um, yeah, it was going to be twenty thousand dollars and I didn't have that. Um, so I decided to create a four minute video and I had, I enlisted help of a a student at SAIC and I put it on to the internet on Kickstarter Mm -hmm. and I published it to my Facebook page and I said, Hey guys, I'm starting a business. It's called (laughs) Relativity Textiles and we make luxury globally inspired wallpaper and I need your help to start this business. Would you please donate $5, $25, $500? And here's the link for my Kickstarter. And it was only 50 days out of a 60-day campaign that I was fully funded. Wow. And I achieved my goal of $20,000. In the middle of the night, like at midnight, I was like, holy cow. <laughs> It's real. Like it's really happening. Like I cannot back out now. I I have to do this. (laughs) And so I kind of quit all my jobs. I was working part-time in three different jobs and I had two little kids and I decided to just go full force into running this business. 
Um, that was in 2016. And here I am today. Wow. That, congratulations. I mean, that's, that takes Thank a you. lot of courage and guts and other. <laughs> and well, or like naivete, yeah. <laughs> right? Like I didn't actually know how much I didn't know at that time. I just thought, oh, this will be fun. How hard could it be? So how did you come up with the name Relativity Textiles and what was actually you got funded? So yeah. what was the next process for you just to start cranking out and getting orders and doing the tap dance show? and Pretty much. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so the by the time that I actually was fully funded, I decided to enlist my first interns. I had worked in the career office at SAC during grad school, and I knew that there were um, there was free labor available mm -hmm. one day a week if I could find a couple students interested in coming over to my apartment and helping me stick sticker labels on wallpaper samples. <laughs> so um, we we got to work right away with um, creating some marketing materials. And I started reaching out to interior designers because at that time I really, I knew how to make beautiful things, but I didn't know who to sell them to. I didn't know a single interior designer. And so um, it was through the help of a couple of different friends. Like one was a realtor and she's like, Oh, you need to meet this person and you need to meet this person. Um, and one, once I started to get to know interior design, um, professionals, mm -hmm. I really started listening to what were their pain points. You know, it was hard to find someone to install this wallpaper. Right. They were not trained on how to measure how much wallpaper do I even need? Uh, they were insecure about not knowing the math of all of that. Right. Um, they also had as much as heart and soul that I had put into these wallpapers being hand screen printed. They didn't necessarily care. <laughs> <laughs> like they just needed something that could match the sofa and didn't right. take a million years to ship to them. <laughs> they want something pretty. <laughs> they need something pretty. And so, uh, you know, I had all, I had this very like um, sincere philosophy about, and you had asked, how did, how did the name come to be? Um, so I'm, I, I was formerly married. And at the time, my initials were EMC. Hmm. And at the factory, one of the workers, in order to keep track of everyone's paper, he would write their name on the box. But instead of my name, he just wrote E equals MC squared. <laughs> <laughs> and when I went to visit one day, I was like, wait, what is that again? I had to Google it. And it was the theory of relativity. It was Albert Einstein's theory of relativity. And I went home and read up on it because I was like, that's kind of catchy and cute. And right. I went back to work the next day and I told Chester, he's a 70 year old Polish man who immigrated to the U.S. and he's only ever he went to high school and started working in the wallpaper factory. That's all he's done his entire life. And he's a, he's a master printer and excellent color matcher. And I said, Chester, I think I found the name for my business. And he said, okay, what is it? I said, the theory of relativity. And he goes, <laughs> no, he goes, it's too heady. <laughs> I go, okay, what about just relativity? He's like, yeah, I think that works. 
<laughs> and so it was kind of a translation of my initials, but it also served as a really beautiful metaphor mm-hmm. for, you know, you hear this all the time. People say, oh, it's all relative. Well, depending on where you're from and depending on your age and depending on your style and your preference, everyone likes something different. Right. And it really matters more about who you are and what you like and and what your sensibility is. Um, That's when you start to develop which patterns are you drawn to and what types of colors do you like and um, what is appealing. Mm -hmm. And everyone's different. And so isn't it such a beautiful way of thinking about things is that there's room for all of us to have a wallpaper or a fabric or a textile that we love and that we identify with and we want to live with in our home, but that everyone's home can be totally different. And so the relativity textiles kind of came to be very serendipitously, um, almost as if it was a mistake, but it definitely was not. It was meant to be. (laughs) It was definitely meant to be. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. So what is your artistic process? Um, in creating various so, imagery and art and form? And how do you incorporate that into your, your work? Yeah. Well, I mean, initially, what I love to do is to, and this is something I used to have my students do when I taught at the School of the Art Institute. I love to dig back into history And I love to go to the library or go to an art museum and look at something that's old and look at something that's from another culture and look at things that have been made for hundreds of years and uh, and look at the craftsmanship. And those are the kinds of moments where you can get inspired about how could I modernize that or how could I change the scale just a little bit? And suddenly it's going to be appealing to a contemporary audience. And so I usually start with some type of inspiration, either traveling or research. Mm -hmm. And from there I will do a drawing or painting and then those drawings get scanned into my computer And it's so it's sort of like two parts. Like, I wish that I could say that all I do is sit around and draw and paint all day long and that, you know, it's this whimsical, fun process. But when you're designing patterns, actually, it's um, a lot more math and a lot more engineering than it is like the fun parts. Right. So those drawings get scanned in in just a regular scanner and I translate them in Illustrator or Photoshop into a very mathematically repeating pattern. Um, It's rare that we do like a unique um, design, like a mural where it doesn't have any repetition. But for the most part, uh, the end, the end form dictates the design. So if the roll of wallpaper is 26 inches wide, the pattern can be 26 inches wide or it can be 13 inches wide or it can be any increment down from from there, um, which multiplies to be 26. So really, we have to consider the roll of wallpaper and the substrate um, 
as well as potentially even the installer and what's going to be easiest for them to line up and figure out Mm -hmm. so that we don't have these really difficult, complicated repeats where, you you know, like only one person in America can install this. (laughs) Like I want it to be available for anyone to try. Um, That being said, uh, it's one of those don't try this at home moments. But <laughs> when you do try to put up your own wallpaper, you realize why there are certain professionals that have been doing this their entire lives. And right. they're really, really good at it because it is kind of complicated. So you use but, your product mainly geared towards the residential sector or do you do hospitality as well? We try to um, we try to meet both markets, but with different types of products. So uh, our hand screen printed wallpapers are made on a clay coated paper, which is not fire rated for commercial use. Um, we use those for, mainly for residential. And then recently I purchased my own printing machinery so that we can make our wallpapers digitally and in-house and we can experiment with different substrates and different colors and make our own samples and visualize things much faster and cheaper so that we uh, have the ability now to print on vinyl and mylar um, and type two papers. This is a plug for not using vinyl in a commercial setting um, is that there are there are commercially viable paper on the market now that's wipeable, fade resistant and durable that don't have any PVC components. It's free of plastic. And what's great about that is it doesn't go into a landfill and stay there forever. Mm -hmm. Um, It decomposes once you're ready to take the wallpaper off and start over with something new. So we can print on all types of materials now. Um, You know, having that background in print manufacturing was really an important key piece of of my business because mm-hmm. I understand um, where all the different types of papers come from, the technology that's being used in the industry and and what's possible. You know, I think a lot of people that start out, they're like, OK, well, I'm just going to print on paper or grass cloth because like that's all I know. <laughs> or um, I have to make it on peel and stick because like that's what people want. Um, But there are so many more options out there and there's so many other creative ways to um, tailor our products to the different markets. So, you know, we can we can still add a metallic gold pop on top of a a commercial paper Mm -hmm. um, because I have a team of artists that work for me. We can actually hand paint little details onto the paper if we needed to embellish the paper and we don't want to go through the process of having something screen printed just to get the metallic gold. Um, as well as I have another mill that prints on gold substrates for commercial use on a mylar. And, and they can even print with white ink digitally. So, you know, I would have to kind of reverse engineer a pattern that's usually on white paper with gold mm-hmm. ink. Now I can reverse it and print in the opposite way. So. I might be getting a little too nerdy, but I really do love like how things are made. Uh, One of my favorite videos on YouTube is like, go watch Mr. Rogers tour of the crayon factory. (laughs) And suddenly you have this deeper appreciation for the thing that you use every day because you now know like how it's made. Um, So get into the weeds. (laughs) Yeah, I'm getting into the weeds here. But, you know, I, I really loved 
I really loved the experience of working. Um, I call it my internship, you know, like when, when doctors go work for free for a couple years to learn their skills of right. um, practicing medicine. Like I worked in the factory. It was just a stinky old shop, at, you know, <laughs> with a brown garage door somewhere on Pulaski Avenue in Chicago. And, and I learned so much from that. So, yeah, on so that's how... Yeah. And that's how I decided like, okay, I'm going to buy my own machine now and I'm going to do my own manufacturing. I don't think a lot of people would have the guts to try that. Um, It's really fun for me to have that capability. So since you started, where have you seen your business grow and where do you want to take it? Where's the next level for you? Oh, wow. Um, So in the first few years, I would just sell wallpaper to anybody, like anyone that wanted wallpaper, you know, I was, I, it was my only source of income. In fact, I didn't, I didn't say this, but as my business really took off, my, my relationship really tanked and it it had nothing to do with the business. Um, but I was married for 10 years and, and suddenly a single mom and had no job and had just borrowed $20,000 from all of my friends to start a company. And there I was, like, I absolutely needed to sell wallpaper to survive. Mm-hmm. And when I talk to a lot of um, new designers that are just starting out, they're like, oh, I want to do wallpaper and it would be so fun. And like, how did you get your company to be so successful? And I was like, um, Out of sheer necessity, I would have stood on a street corner dressed as the Statue of Liberty, shaking a sign that said, buy my wallpaper. Yeah. If I I had to. Yes, it was sink or swim. And so, you know, I would have sold wallpaper to just about anybody. Um, Luckily, though, you know, I've been involved in a couple of really key uh, industry events, such as the Lake Forest Show House in Mm -hmm. Chicago that's happened um, every two years since I've been in business. So I've been able to participate in that three times. And I met so many amazing designers who were working on their rooms. Um, I met so many amazing people that just walked through and they were enthusiasts of design uh, world. And um, those are the types of relationships that I was really able to foster over the past six, six to eight years since I participated in the first one. Um, we have done several trade shows. So I, I use um, I used to. Well, my ex-husband is a flight attendant, so I used to go everywhere for free. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, Vegas market is happening this weekend. I'm just going to pop on a flight and go to Vegas. Um, but I, I love going to trade shows. I haven't had a booth at ICFF yet, but I would love to in the future. Um, I usually just go and walk the show and I try Mm -hmm. to meet as many people as possible and Hey, can I scan your badge and let's get in touch after the show, you know? And so those are the kinds of events that really requires you being yourself in person, Mm -hmm. which others call networking. I like to just think about it as being yourself in front of as many people as possible, you know, and that's how you expand your network. And that's how you meet more people that might want to buy your product. Um, So those have been really good events for me. Um, What else? You know, I think there's a lot of designers who now know of our business who have a much bigger reach on social media and a bigger influence. Uh, We were asked to, I was asked to paint a mural on HGTV, 
last year. And so I came in and, you know, they recorded me painting this plaid pattern in a game room and then it aired on HGTV. So like that was a big crowning glory moment for me, Um, as well as like a feature on the Nate Burkus blog, stuff like that, where you're like, okay, I'm I'm going to see so (laughs) many eyeballs. Um, but I was telling this story at Field and Supply because I just got back from this trade show in upstate New York this weekend. I was telling this story about, you know, you know, you've made it when you have haters. Huh. Like yeah. so many people when I was featured on the Nate Burkus blog had right. so many variety of opinions about my <laughs> wallpaper. Some of them are like, oh my gosh, this is so sexy. I love it. And others were like, oh, Nate, you've gone terribly wrong. This looks like my grandmother's wallpaper, <laughs> you know? And like, rather than cry about it and be upset to hear that someone doesn't like my work, I use it as a, a, a barometer for like, okay, at least they have an opinion. Yeah. And they're talking least, about it. Yeah. At least I got someone all riled up with my little wallpaper design. You know, it's such a range of emotions that were, were displayed on his uh, feed. Well, but say, yeah. Mini PR is good PR. So, yeah. So, you know, and, and we've had many a feature in little magazines here locally in Chicago and, um, and, you know, smaller public or larger publications with smaller uh, square inches in different magazines. And um, I was able, I was very lucky to be involved in the traditional home uh, showcase house that's coming out in, I think, next week, where they're starting to um, show many different designers. Only two of them are based here in Chicago. And, uh, it's for editorial use. So hmm. I did a mural. It was a wallpaper of a tiger that I hand painted and then scanned again, printed on wallpaper and just pasted on the wall. So it looked like a mural hand painted on the ceiling. Um, and I did some wallpaper borders, some decorative painting, and I also painted someone's floor. And mm-hmm. so these are designers from Atlanta and Lexington, Kentucky. And, you know, it'll be really great to see what the exposure is for our business after this showcase house is revealed. So do you have a standard product line or? Yes. And then do you do uh, custom and obviously you do custom and commission work? We do. Yeah. Well, I, I do have a line of my own, which we've launched already for collections mm-hmm. um, through COVID. I didn't launch anything for almost three years. So I finally did launch last year a fourth collection and all of them are inspired by different places around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so each each pattern actually has a country of origin. And in most cases, it's named like a word in the language there. Um, So we have Japan and Morocco and India and uh, just all over. Um, The textile world is just such a vast uh, place for inspiration. So all of my designs are globally inspired and, and my art. And then I decided in 2023 that I was going to kind of open up to 
uh, incorporating other artists' work in, underneath the umbrella of our brand. And so we started calling this Relativity Collective. And we're trying to find other artists interested in, you know, manufacturing their products with us. Mm -hmm. um, things that are going to be different enough from my designs that they are not in competition. Um, so we want to find artists with different styles and we want our brand um, to be, to have more breadth, to have more diversity so that in some ways I, I dream of like competing with Schumacher and Kravit and these places that designers from all around the country are going, um, trying to find something new and cool. Right. Uh, and they rely on them to be the source for wallpaper designs. Um, we want them to come to us and be able to support different artists from all around the country at the same time. So um, we've launched two collections. One was with an artist named Renee Romero Schuler. She's based in Monterey, California. And another artist who is an interior designer, her name's Elizabeth Molin, and she goes um, by Stone Textile Studio. She's actually had a textile line for about 10 years, but her oh interior God. design practice is very successful. And so she also hadn't launched anything new in a while. And when I told her that we're doing this relativity collective is what I call it, um, She's like, I'm in. What, what can we do together? Let's launch something new. Um, so we've been able to do that with two other artists. And, and we have a couple more queued up for the last part of this year. Um, and our new website is going to be launching out um, this week. So perfect timing, Cray. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but you'll be able to see all these new artists um, with, their, with their different kinds of designs on the website very shortly. Oh, perfect. That's wonderful. Well, yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, this is like a really fun way for me to like not get bored. I'm an artist and mm -hmm. I'm also someone who is high functioning ADHD. Um, <laughs> I get bored really easily. I have to constantly like seek out new stimulation. So when I'm presenting to an interior design firm and I say, what are you guys working on? And they say, well, we've, I've been looking for this like bird pattern for this, you know, powder room, but we can't really find something. It's like a, a moment for me of discovery. Like, okay, what would it be if it was like the perfect wallpaper? Tell me right. more. Um, describe it for me. Like, how can you just kind of airdrop me your thoughts and let <laughs> me draw it for you? And then that's just a one-off design, but it accomplishes everything that they're setting out to have but couldn't necessarily find anywhere else. And I think that's one thing that a lot of these small boutique artist owned brands love to do is number one, show off their skills as an artist. Absolutely. But number two, I get to feel like I'm on their team for a little while. I get to feel like I'm part of the party mm -hmm. and that, you know, we created something together collaboratively Correct. And so I don't necessarily put on my website like, hey, I do custom designs. It's more that when someone comes to me and says, I've really been looking for something and I can't find it, I get very excited. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. And like I said before, I might know someone that 
maybe would want to work with you. Yes. <laughs> I think hopefully from this podcast, many people will listen and go, yeah. me too. I want to design exactly. wallpaper. <laughs> so I was going to ask you what motivates and inspires you in your creative process and kind of uh, lightly spanned over it, but what does motivate you, inspire you? Oh man. Well, I mean, okay. At the heart of hearts, mm-hmm. I want to make a living. <laughs> well, yeah, being fed and paying your bills. Is I want doctor. to send my kids to this amazing <laughs> private school that they go to. I want to continue to live in this cute neighborhood in Chicago where I'm at. And I want to continue hiring all these brilliant interns to come and get work experience. Like I, I say this a lot as a funny joke, but it's kind of real. It's like, I consider myself in some way, this like Pied Piper where I'm just going to like play my flute of like be an artist and make money and everyone will follow me into the sunset, you know, skipping along the path to creativity. (laughs) Um, I really would like to be able to be like a beacon for artists to know that they don't have to sell out and they don't have to go find some boring day job just to live and survive Mm-hmm. that they can figure out a way to be profitable, make a living, um, you know, show up to work whenever you want to, uh, be your own boss and and do it as a lifestyle um, where you don't have to be starving. Mm-hmm. And that's what, you know, during COVID, when I was homeschooling both of my kids and working out of my living room, I decided to write down my story. Like, how did I actually do this? And that was what composed a 450 page book called Artists Who Thrive that was published in 2020 and is available on Amazon.com about like my actual journey to becoming a selling like a, an artist who sells her work. Like I consider my wallpaper, my art right? and I sell Absolutely. my art and I make a living doing it. And when I sat down with my accountant and figured out in four years, uh, it wasn't the first four years. Um, it's been the last four or five years. I've made over a million dollars selling my art. It's fantastic. And installing a lot of that art in people's powder <laughs> rooms and a bunch of other random to, stuff. But <laughs> you don't have to be a starving artist to be creative. No. And, you know, I think one really lovely um, aspect of being a creative is that it makes you well suited for entrepreneurship because you're going to come across a lot of issues, problems, challenges on a day to day basis while running your business. And you have to get creative, like you have to solve those problems. And I think that artists are very good at solving those problems because they have imagination and we can actually picture the life that we would want. Whereas most people might say, well, I don't really know what I would do if I started a business. An artist is like, oh, I could make pillows and I could do murals and I could do footwear and I could do, you know, like we don't have any uh, deficit of ideas it's more like time and money to make all the ideas happen exactly. is our biggest challenge <laughs> do you feel you challenge yourself and well this is a a mundane question take risk because obviously you do because you the way you started you took a yeah, huge risk i did um, more you, risk than most people can possibly stomach i'm like <laughs> 
I, I think this is also an ADHD quality. That's a really beautiful thing. Um, is that I'm not risk averse. I just kind of dive into the deep end and then say, Oh gosh, where's the life preserver? Like, how do I get to the shallow end? So I'm, I'm spontaneous and I'm impulsive and I just go for it. And then I figure it out while I'm doing it. Uh, I don't think a lot of people want to live that way. (laughs) Or they they just don't know how they have to have. uh, Yeah. And when you do it, yeah, when you do it for the first time and the second time you you learn, oh my gosh, I'm a very resilient creature and mm-hmm. I'm I'm meant for this and and I can do this and it's it wasn't so scary. Um but yeah, doing Kickstarter was sort of the turning point in my life because I was very public whether or not I was going to succeed at this. And I had no choice but to every single day get on Facebook and say, guys, I'm starting a business. I need money. Would you please donate? If you do, I'll send you a thank you card or a pillow or all these other crazy incentive gifts that I created, um, which I don't recommend. Um, Just like give them a high five or put their name on a plaque, you know? And, And so like after that, nothing seemed quite as scary because I had already done the scariest thing there was, which is like publicly put myself up on the chopping block and say, <laughs> I might fail and before your eyes. And and luckily I didn't. <laughs> true, true. Do you still feel like you could take challenges in your business decisions and your creative process? Yes. I, I want to take on less challenges. In this season of my life that I'm in, I did two show houses this year. Mm-hmm. I launched two other people's collections in the last 12 months. I bought a $20,000 print machinery to start making my own wallpaper. Like I'm a little tapped out right now <laughs> for more challenges. <laughs> like I would actually welcome ease and grace as Quite the next <laughs> phase of this process. <laughs> I would love some ease and grace right now. Yeah. So are you represented in various showrooms around the country? So I used to be represented in um, 12 different showrooms around the country. Mm-hmm. Prior to COVID, I had one in Canada, one in Australia, and um, nine other showrooms in the country. Uh, you know, New York, L.A., uh, Florida, Denver, Austin, and Chicago. And once I lost my office manager because she couldn't no longer like come into my house for work, Um, and we hadn't mastered like working remotely yet. Mm -hmm. Um, I just, I wrote all of my showrooms and said, it's been lovely working with all of you, but I can't possibly continue to send you thousands of samples and, uh, answer bunches of emails and give everyone price quotes. Like I just simply don't have time anymore to do that. And I transitioned my business model to e-commerce And I got myself a fancy Shopify site. I hired a friend to help me design some bits of it in a custom way. And then I told people, if you want a trade account, you just go on the website, you put in your email and pop an automated email says, hello, welcome to our trade program. Please reply with your resale certificate and you'll be all set to go shop with this coupon code and check out with your 20% discount. And everything was now streamlined for anyone in America to like get their net pricing. 
Right. <laughs> <laughs> and without the showroom reps and without the millions of emails back and forth. And so my profitability went up by seven times. Wow. And what I realized was, oh, when you start out, you think you need a showroom in New York and then you're going to like suddenly have made it. Or you need a showroom here because like that's what all the other girls with their small boutique lines are doing. And what really made bigger a bigger impact was the immediate return of an email. Um, The samples that you can choose yourself and check out and get for free on the website right now, even at two in the morning. Mm -hmm. And that you... um, have me at your beck and call if you need me. My phone number's there, my email's there. And if you want a custom color, like let's work on it one-on-one instead of me to the showroom rep, to the designer, to the end user and back on that trail, you know, so much communication back and forth. So it was a eye-opening moment for me. I was like, oh, e-commerce is like a thing. (laughs) And this business that I have even, yeah, even though you know, the traditional channels are showrooms at my scale. It works for me mm-hmm. and uh, I'm still able to serve my clientele and customer base um, much better this way. And it's easier for me to run. Now I have a big, huge studio and a storefront space in Chicago and I'm not working from my living room anymore. Um, <laughs> so they can come in and look at fabrics and wallpapers as well. But you know, I think having this Shopify that plugs into Pinterest and it plugs into Facebook and it plugs into um, fulfillment apps and it has all these bells and whistles. Um, Shopify is continuing to get better and better every year. And I'm just such a huge um, advocate for artists and creative people having Shopify websites because it can do so much for you to increase your productivity and your and your business. And your bottom line, more yeah, and your bottom line, (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah. So, how do you do a lot of collaboration besides the the collective component that you're currently launched to this year? Do you do a lot of collaborations Um, with others? You know, I would love to do more collaborations. I think I've been so head down trying to grow my own business. Like, Mm -hmm. I would love to um, do some brand partnerships and. I would love to do licensing and stuff like that. Um, I see other artists of my skill doing stuff like that. And it's always exciting to me to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also do strongly believe that, you know, some sometimes what a licensing deal or a collaboration can do is it puts the artist or the creative at kind of the bottom of the food chain where they're making the least amount of money from their own creative or intellectual property. And so when I talk to other artists, sometimes they say, Oh yeah, I had a rug line with the rug company and I had, you know, glass vases with my designs etched on them for Neiman Marcus. And I had all these different things. It's like, well, what was your royalty? They're like, Oh, it was 10%, 15%. (laughs) Right. And they sold $3 million worth of rugs. Yeah. It's like, wow. Okay. I I love the idea of passive income, but like you, without you and your art, that whole entire $3 million, uh, you know, sales would never have happened because they needed your art to create those things. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's kind of a reverse of what it should be. 
I think True. the artist should be the one making the most money for their intellectual property and everyone else should make 10%. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It might be a utopian ideal, but I do yeah. think that, you know, there's ways of engineering it. So that's what we're trying to do with Relativity Collective. It's not a licensing deal. It's where you, the artist, own your creative property outright and you work with us as a manufacturing partner and a marketing partner. And you put your stuff on our website because we already have 7,000 views per month and it's growing. Um, and if you don't want to wait to get your own Shopify up to that place, or you don't want to wait to have 750,000 impressions a month on Pinterest, we're already there. And right. you can kind of hop on our speed train to where we're going. Um, and I feel like that allows me to utilize all the blood, sweat and tears that I've put into <laughs> my business as a platform to empower others. Shocker. It's like, we are not all in competition. We're stronger together. In fact, and we benefit each other with all the different skills that each of us has. You have an audience. I have an audience. If we can pool those energies and efforts together and our budgets, then we could possibly uh, overturn the, (laughs) you know, long reigning um, monarchy of, of the top brands in the showrooms and, and possibly actually compete as small businesses. So I I hear you preaching. I I can, (laughs) as I mentioned prior to beginning this interview, when we're off camera, you know, I launched a furniture line pre COVID. It's like, probably wasn't the smartest thing to do. Well, you didn't know COVID was coming. Yeah, well, (laughs) but I survived. You know, it's been slow growth, uh, not there as as where you're at the level, but getting there. It's just been a slow slow process. So you got to stick with it, and you got to believe in yourself and keep pushing. You know, I haven't dressed up as uh, the Statue of Liberty yet, but (laughs) (laughs) well, it's consistency, and I think that if you're on Facebook every single day saying, "Guys, I'm raising money for Kickstarter." That's one thing. But what you have to continue to do for eight years after that is say, guys, I'm still selling wallpaper. I'm still making cool things. I'm still, you know, out here trying to build a career. And that's the difference between being an entrepreneur and working for someone else. When you work for another company, you don't necessarily have to do that all the time. But as an entrepreneur, you do. You have to say, I'm in upstate New York. Anyone come and visit me. I have a booth. It's here. I'm selling pillows. I'm selling, you know, I'm giving away wallpaper samples. Um, or, you know, we're open. We're open now until five. Like, come by the showroom space, this, this, and this. And um, it can feel yucky, I think. Yeah. For like a lot of artists, they really don't want to be out there promoting themselves. True. I think that self-promotion can feel like a taboo especially in the art world, not talking mm-hmm. about like the design world, but actually the art world. You don't go to a gallery opening with business cards and say, Hey, I'm Aaron. I'm an artist. I make sculptures. Like here's my card. Check out my website. That is so taboo. And so it really took a retraining of my mind to say self-promotion is not a crime. We have to do this if we want to reach a revenue goal. 
Mm-hmm. We have to go to all the events at the merchandise mart. And I used to feel like I was wearing a trench coat full of like, well, <laughs> like I just had samples on the inside, like stolen Rolexes. And everywhere I went, I was hustling. And I think some people may see me as like salesy, but most people just see me as a hardworking entrepreneur and someone who is, you know, trying to make a living and they're, I'm out here to survive. So you have to continuously do it if you want it to see it grow. And that's my only advice for anyone out there that's like starting something new is be consistent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very true. Can you highlight a project that creatively um, is the epitome of your heart and soul and relativity uh, textile? Oh, man. <sighs> Well, this fourth collection launch that I did last November, um, I have a box right here. (laughs) I created these wallpaper designs and one of them is near and dear to my heart. Um, But I also created all of the packaging for it. And this is, it's going to appear backwards potentially in the camera, but um, this is the packaging for how you would receive all of the samples of our work. Mm -hmm. And on the inside, it has a really fun pattern. It has a little bit about me, a little bit about relativity collective and what we do. In fact, if I send this to an interior designer, they might want to have their own collection. Um, We have fabric samples of each of the linen, the woven and the polyester um, velvets so that you can see the performance fabrics and how, um, you know, really durable they are, Mm -hmm. as well as um, color fast. And then we have all these different wallpaper samples to choose from in here. Um, One of the designs, so all of these were kind of loosely inspired by Dutch wax cloth, which is an African um, identified fabric now, Mm -hmm. but it started in Indonesia and was brought over by the Dutch. And all of these have very vivid colors, um, very big, bold patterns, because the African wax cloth really actually there's a sofa in the background of my video um, with an African wax cloth. Um, They're they're unapologetic. Correct. And I just love it. And there's usually like a big scale pattern and a small scale pattern somewhere in the background. This little guy is a chameleon. And he is my mascot. I actually drew this out for a fabric that I was going to screen print by hand in in grad school. So it's been almost 15 years since I have had this in the proverbial shoebox under my bed. (laughs) And I finally launched a wallpaper pattern with him because he's my mascot. He just adapts to survive. And he will change colors no matter where he goes, no matter which person's powder room he's in Mm -hmm. because he wants to belong and he wants to survive so that's kind of my um, crowning glory pattern is something that is definitely not for everyone Um, it's all relative I could probably make you a gray version if you're averse to color Um, like so many people in Chicago seem to be for some reason (laughs) we have gray weather outside and everyone likes neutrals Um, but you know I I think that he's kind of um, secretly my my little um, company mascot. He's seen you through it all. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so what range is your product line? Is so, there some place you, you still want to go that you have not incorporated ooh. into 
well, I really want to do rugs. Yeah. And I'm working on prototyping some rugs right now. Um, rugs are a hard sell, but it would be so amazing to see some of the designs that are now wallpapers translated into mm-hmm. rugs. Um, and it falls within the family of textiles. We have wallpaper. We've, we've talked a lot about the wallpaper, but we also do have fabrics. And that was a development in 2022 that I'm so happy to go back to because that was where I started. Um, and then the rugs are, I, I did this event. Um, I, I love to participate in charitable, uh, you know, p- places where I can donate my creativity and time. Um, that will benefit some type of social cause. So we work with Designs for Dignity in Chicago, and they do chairs for charity and carpets for a cause. And they choose designers to design their own chair and design their own carpets. And they partner with different um, local uh, showrooms. One is Oscars Birian, and they do carpets. So I was chosen several years back, maybe three or four years ago um, to design a carpet. And again, I fell in love with the process. Mm -hmm. Uh, Brooks, who was the salesperson, he was like, okay, number one, you were the last person that we picked. I was like on the wait list. Okay. I like got in at the last minute (laughs) because another designer dropped out and they're like, call that wallpaper girl. So he was like, you were the last person to get picked, but you were the first person to be done with your design. And you were the easiest to work with because I just picked my colors and was like, you know, that spontaneity. (laughs) I was like, this one, this one, we're doing orange, pink, blue, green, and I'm done. And he was like, are you sure? I was like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't second guess it for a minute. And um, I had so much fun seeing it come to come to life um, that ever after that, I thought I really want to do rugs. So I have had a couple prototypes made. I do have some. That I can't share with you now because they're still in shipment back from New York. But um, anyone that was at Field and Supply, they saw them. And yeah, I'm, I'm currently looking for clients that are interested in buying a custom rug. Um, so that's one place that I would like to take this. And, you know, the other thing is that I just want to grow and expand and I want to be able to serve more people. I want to be able to collaborate with more artists. And I want to be able to see our work in more and more fabulous places and and watch how the interior design industry uses our products creatively. Mm-hmm. It's it's like always boggles my mind to see the photo shoot when they share their photos at the end of a project. And I go, I never could have imagined it the way that they imagined it. I right. I made the wallpaper, but they really made the space with the wallpaper. And so, um, yeah, I just want to see more and more iterations of how our work can get used. We lightly glanced over um, the wallpaper and going back to your schooling and education of textiles. So most of the wallpaper designs incorporated into a textile, a fabric? Like a fabric, yes. Mm -hmm. All of the fabrics that we have are uh, performance. So they've been printed using dye sublimation. So it's a digital process where basically a digital printer prints onto paper. And instead of using ink, it uses dye. And then that paper is transferred over with like a massive iron onto the fabric. So the image is reversed and, and transferred using heat. 
And if it was for using um, cotton, silk, or linen, those fibers would burn under the temperature. So that's why they have to use polyester and poly blends. And, you know, I, I questioned whether or not I can sell a luxury polyester, but I will give you two selling points for why um, these fabrics are incredible. Number one, the range of colors when you use dye is so much better and it's so much more vibrant than ink can possibly be. Mm-hmm. And additionally, number two, um, they're so much more durable because those fibers have been permanently colored forever. Like the dye will stay not just sitting on top and giving you like a little crunchy layer on top of mm-hmm. the fabric. Um, they're permanently colored. So these pass the 50,000 rub test. They can be potentially used indoor, outdoor. Um, I like to say they're kid-proof, pet-proof, and life-proof <laughs> because I have kids and pets. And like, I would never put a luxury linen on my dining room chairs because I did that once and never again. It was like $400 a chair and it lasted maybe three weeks. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> so it was just toast. Uh, and so I want people to be able to live with our products and I want them I want life to happen all around these wallpapers and fabrics so that they can actually just wipe the applesauce right off of the cushion (laughs) and move on with their lives. (laughs) So what else is next for Aaron and Relativity Textiles? Ooh, um, okay. So here's a little plug. I don't, I don't have any plan crave for like when this is actually going to happen, but I will tell you it because yeah, when you put it out there, then you have to do it. Um, I want to write a short book about how to take an idea and turn it into a product and how that can be profitable. It's like a very abridged version of Artists Who Thrive, my other Mm -hmm. book. Um, But it really is more about product design and specifically textiles. I think every day it seems like there's a new wallpaper designer out there. And with the advent of websites like spoonflower.com, Anyone can just take a picture of their dog and turn it into a pattern repeat and get a yard of fabric printed, you know, but like, how do you actually scale a business like that? And how do you actually find customers that will continuously buy your stuff? And how do you find quality manufacturers? So that book is something that I'm going to be writing with the help of um, one of my dearest friends who is an editor for a very large magazine. And I cannot tell you her name. Um, but she's going to be helping me co-write that book. And I would love to just, um, you know, like my dream vision, I always joke, but I'm, I need a microphone and a stage. Just like get me a panel so I can talk about this. Any design event anywhere. I want to talk about this more because I think like you said, oh, I've always wanted to do a textile line. Mm-hmm. I hear that almost every day. Someone says, you know, oh my gosh, it's on my bucket list. And why not? Yeah. It's it's available now with all this amazing technology. So um, just taking a little of my expertise and trying to make it useful for people. So what word of advice would you have someone that wants to get into this industry or do what you're doing? Mm. Purchase QuickBooks and learn how to use it. (laughs) 
hear that. Yes. Like money and numbers and art and creativity don't always mix well. <laughs> and a lot of artists are like, oh, I'll deal with that part later. It's like, no, that is probably the most important part. Mm-hmm. And I think that we have to get good at math and we have to get good at finance and we have to train ourselves if we're not already good at that. Luckily, my dad was a math teacher, so he made me go all the way to calculus in high school. And I was like crying, doing my math homework for an hour every night before he told me, you can quit now if you want. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, after college algebra in ninth grade, you were done with math. And I was in almost 12th grade and I was like, are you serious? I've been doing years of math extra that I didn't have to do. So it has come in handy and I'm very happy about the fact that my dad did push me to be good at math, but most artists struggle in this category. And so it's not as easy as just hire a good bookkeeper, hire a good accountant. I encourage people to actually learn how to do their own bookkeeping so that they can see a balance sheet and not freak out or a spreadsheet and not freak out. And they know what their return of their investment is because under no circumstances that I say, go buy a $20,000 machine, you know, unless you know how to make that money back tenfold. Mm-hmm. So I think that learning those skills is imperative. And that's a very boring answer. <laughs> I could have said like, you know, journal every morning and do yoga and get inspired. And no, it's really more practical advice. <laughs> hey, it's the base foundation of being a business owner. Yeah. You got to know what your is. debit and credits are. It is. <laughs> yes. Well, Aaron, is there anything else you want to add? Plug, tell us about. I mean, just you guys come by the website um, this week. And after the podcast goes live, I would love to have uh, designers sign up for our trade application. Um, and anyone that's a design enthusiast to be on our email newsletter. So just come and support us by looking at the website and then we'll track you down and follow you using cookies and retarget you everywhere on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) That's the plan. (laughs) Well, Aaron, it's been an extreme pleasure to have you on our show and I thank Thank you you so much. See you soon. Yes. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you. 